Well, good morning. It's always awkward for me to stand up here without a guitar, so just throwing that out there. Um, let's open our Bibles. Um, I want you to open up to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to put our fingers there for just a minute. I'm going to read from Ephesians while you're turning there, um, kind of our context for today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 20, says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 17, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we come before you, Lord, grateful for your word, grateful that we have opportunity to come and gather the way that we do, even in crazy times that we're living in, Lord, that we have the opportunity to gather live and in person and also project the message, Lord, and what we're saying to those at home who cannot be with us here. Lord, we're grateful that you care enough, Lord, to send us these words to give us hope, to give us light, to give us inspiration and guidance. Lord, I just pray that as we look to you this morning, that you would be honored, that you would be blessed in this place. Lord, and um, that you would have your way in and through me. We love you, and we're grateful, and we lift this up in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. In writing to the Ephesians, Paul was chained to a couple of Roman soldiers. He was under 24-hour surveillance, but not just watching him, actually physically chained up. And while he was sitting there, right, he, he, he sees these Roman soldiers, and he looks at their, their garb, their attire. He sees they've got these helmets. He sees he's got the, they've got these shoes that, that were, were special made. He sees he's got, they've got their belts on, their swords. They've got their breastplates. They've got all this stuff, and he's thinking, man, I can make spiritual reference to this. And he knows that he can, so he does that for us. He gives us an outfit of spiritual armor that the believer is to be putting on, on a daily basis. We're in a spiritual battle in this life. You guys know that, right? This is, this is not just, hey, we're, we're going along in a boat and we're enjoying the daisies and the butterflies and things. We're in a spiritual battle. I wish it was that way, but someday, someday. The enemy is desiring to tear down our defenses and he, he, he wants to destroy our foundations, everything that we stand on, everything that we believe. Though we might not be aware of this battle, the forces of Satan have been actively engaged in pressing into every single life to try and accomplish their defeat ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since he had fallen. Um, you know, to protect the Roman soldiers, to protect against fiery darts during their battles, they would, they would get rid of their small hand-to-hand -hand combat shields that they wore, the round ones that, that we see, and they had these big wooden shields that were covered in leather. They would, um, they would soak that leather in, in water and then stretch it over this wood. And, and that's, that soaked leather, when those fiery darts came from the enemy, would, would extinguish when they hit that leather. They would stop everything from, you know, being a so-called Molotov cocktail or something like that, that they, would have, they had these thin tube-like darts that they would fill with whatever pitch or whatever it was that burned when they shot it. And then when it hit something, that, that stuff would pour out. and So that would extinguish that flame. With this armor that Paul sets before us, um, we're shown some of the tools that, that we can defend against our enemy's pursuit. One of these tools is a shield of faith. This shield of faith is something that we can raise, that we can soak in faith. We can raise our shields 
so that we can be ready for the attacks to come. In my daily quiet time, um, just recently finished up the book of 1 Kings. I, I love reading through the Kings. I love the books of, of Samuel. I, I love the life of David, the life of Saul. And as we get through these things, to, to see the history, to see these things um, that God allows us to look into, um, some crazy things, some intense things. You know, it, it's, it's a picture of our daily life as we walk through life. It's not, it's not all butter and cake. It, there's, there's hard things that come. One of my favorite stories, my favorite Bible stories, is this story in 1 Kings 18 and 19 that we're going to read. Um, it's an exchange between um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Um, really, really, I like Elijah, man. He, he gets into some things here. But Elijah was a prophet. Who is this guy? He was a prophet who, whose introduction into Scripture came in 1 Kings chapter 17, a chapter earlier, with an encounter that he has announcement uh, to King Ahab that, there, that it wasn't going to rain. He, he walks in, and God says, go tell Ahab it's not going to rain. He goes in and says, Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say it does. And then he leaves. You know, it's this announcement. It ain't going to rain no more, right? And, and yeah, she got that. But um, it's not going to rain. And Ahab, no doubt, is thinking, who is this guy? We don't really have a background on him. It says he's a Tishbite. Um, and that's great. But he just kind of appears in here, and he walks in, says it's not going to rain. Um, and, and the land would be in drought. Now, this land would be in drought until Elijah said it would rain again. I said that. He was a mighty man of God. He, his word had weight. God used him powerfully. He was in communion and communication with God. His life was marked by separation from the outside world, um, by supernatural events. And God was willing to use this man in supernatural ways to show his glory, to, to, to get his um, will and his words to the king of this nation. God's giving him direction and allowing his power to show forth through him in mighty ways. Through, through a lot of events that had passed in between that, when he makes this announcement, and the event that we're going to talk about today, he, there's a space of about three and a half years we're going to read later. He meets again with Ahab through another encounter with searching and trying to find food for the land, and you guys can go back and read it in 1 Kings chapter 18. So we're going to start out in verse 17, 1 Kings 18, 17, when Elijah calls out on the people and on the king of Israel to come to the true and the living God. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. They were the idols, the idolatrous figures of the day. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel's the queen. She's Ahab's wife. So. Ahab calls out on this guy. He says, ah, oh, you're the troublemaker. You're the guy that said it's not going to rain. You bring trouble on us. Elijah says, nope, this is on you, buddy. This is all on you and your father's house. You've left, you've left the way of God's blessings. You've abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you've broken the very first two commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me, and... Thou shalt not make any graven image. You shall not worship any idols. There shouldn't be any idolatry. Okay? He tells Ahab, look, get all the people together. We're going to have a big assembly. We're going to have an event. We're going to have a showdown. Get all these idolatrous prophets together. Get everybody together. We're going we're gonna to do this. And this is where we get sporty in the scripture here. Okay? So 1 Kings 18.20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Okay, we're, we're off to a good start. And Elijah came near all the people, and he said, 
How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. Guys, get these two bulls together. Here's what we're going to do. You guys get one, I get one. We're going to do the same thing here. Let's prepare this bull. We're going to prepare the wood. We're going to put it. Nobody's allowed to use any, any false fire. Nobody's allowed to um, go ahead and do, do something different. We're going to do the, exactly the same thing. I, you call upon the name of your God, it says, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. All the people said, yeah, that's a great idea. It is well spoken. They said, that's a great idea. Now we can see and we can prove, right? So moving on in verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull. You go first, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. So they took the bull that was given to them, they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. I like to put a little bit of wavy voice. Oh, Baal, answer us. I can imagine what they look like out there. Oh, Baal, you know, all this stuff. Answer us. But there was no voice. There was no voice, and no one answered. Uh, and I like the way that, that the ESV says this. And they limped around the altar that they had made. They were, they were you know, hurting themselves. And we'll, we'll see that here. And at noon, um, where did it go? And he says, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. They limped around the altar that they made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. <laughs> I love this guy. He says, cry aloud, for he's a God. He says, and this is a God. You've got to be loud, guys. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he can't hear you. Either he's, he's musing, he's, he's really deep in thought maybe. He's musing or, 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 you know what, maybe he's relieving himself. Look, it's right here in the Bible. Open your Bibles and look at it. He's, he's going, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Or maybe he went on vacation. Maybe he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep. He's a God, right? He's Gets, they get tired, so maybe he's in bed. Maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe it's different time of the world, time of the day where he's at. So these guys, they take it to heart. He cry, they cry aloud and they cut themselves after the custom with swords and lances, just part of their, part of their uh, pagan worship, until the blood gushed out upon them. I, I can't imagine what this looked like. It must have been lunacy. It must have been really a wild thing to watch and to see happening. And as midday passed, it says they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So Elijah puts these false prophets on the spot. He says, all right, guys, you're up. Show us. Give us the big picture here. Make it happen. Prove, let your gods prove themselves to us that they really are gods, that they really are something. But the fact is, there was nothing there, a wasted effort. Now, Elijah, you know, he's going to get his offering together, and, and then the Lord's going to take the stage. 1 Kings 18.30. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. How many of us have an altar that has been broken down in our lives? A place where we used to come to take refuge, to seek the Lord, to, to commune with him. That's 
been neglected, that's been left in disarray. Elijah repairs this altar that had been thrown down by a corrupt system, that had been broken down by godless people, that had been trampled on by a worldly system. I encourage you to check in your own hearts for those places that need to be repaired with the Lord. Elijah, he said, come near to me. He repairs this altar, and he took 12 stones, it continues, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. I don't know what that means. It, it, it's a certain measurement. Um, it's big enough that it, it warrants uh, note. Contains two seas of seed, and he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. So they did it a second time, and he said, do it a third time. So they did it the third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So he sets up this, sacrifice, this, this altar, and he gets the sacrifice ready. He puts the wood in order. He puts the sacrifice on top of the wood. Now, what's the logical thing you would put on a fire pit to get it to start up? Gasoline or lighter fluid or you know, dry kindling, anything but water. He drenches this sacrifice. He drenches the wood. He, he does it three times. He does it enough that the water that runs over this sacrifice and down off of the wood that drenches the wood fills up this trench that he dug into this hard, rocky ground. And that must have been a sight, too, him out there chiseling this big trench out. You know, it was all rock. Those of you who have been there to Israel and to the area know how rocky and barren that land can be. He digs it all out, and he, he, he has this thing is all filled up with water. You wouldn't be able to start that on fire. Uh, uh, you had a lighter. If you have lighter fluid at this point, it's not going to work. He wants to make sure that everybody knows that God is who he says he is. Verse 36, and at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. He calls on the Lord. He says, God, you told me to do this. You said that you're God. Prove that you're God now. Prove that what, what I'm saying is the truth. Prove that what you're saying is the truth. And turn the hearts of this people back to you. God will, lis will listen when we pray, when we, when we go through our scripture, when we pray those scriptures into our lives, take those promises to ourselves. He will. He will keep his promises because he's good. His word is true. His word is faithful. And he is faithful to complete the work that he started. Verse 38. I love this part. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, what do you think they did? Boom, face down. They fell on their faces and they declared... The Lord is God. The Lord. He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. This fire came from heaven. I'm sure Jezebel saw that happening from back at her palace, you know, on the other side. I'm sure that everybody around, this must have been a real sight, this, this fire coming down from heaven and, and consuming this sacrifice. Now, this was a bull. This wasn't like a rabbit or, or you know, some squirrel or something little. Ooh, you know, this was a bull. This was a, a large animal. It consumed this animal 
in, a, in, a, in an incredible way. It consumed the wood. It consumed the rock. <laughs> fire to consume rock. That's it. That usually we put rocks around a, camp, a campfire, right, to, to keep the heat in. It consumed the rock. It consumed the dust. There was nothing left but a black spot on the ground. And it consumed all the water. It licked it all up. It, 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 it dried everything out. Amazing, amazing event. Then in the following verses, Elijah calls for the rain. You know, we can look ahead in the next few. He says, all right, Ahab, you, see, you saw what happened. He says, you better get back to the palace, and uh, guess what? It's going to rain. You better hurry up so you don't get stuck in the mud. Calls on the rain. It happens. Now, this is, this, this is a great day of ministry, right? This is a great one of those times that, that you, you go away from the things that you did, from, from the events of the day, and you think, wow, that was awesome. You ever have that experience? I've had a few of them. Just like, man, what a cool day. What, a, what an awesome work God did. You're all pumped up. It's like, wow, this is, this is awesome. How could, you, how, could God ever, how could I ever be down again after something like this? How could Elijah ever get down after this? But the enemy... Our enemy is a sore loser. He doesn't like it when he gets beat up. He doesn't like it when the work of God happens and people's lives are changed. This is one of those times that he shoots at you while your back is turned. While you're not really on your guard. You're like, yes, you're on top of it. Your guard's down. He'll shoot. He'll make sure that his shot hits where it's supposed to hit. He, he desires to tear us down again. Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The King James Version says, redeeming the time, okay, making that best use of the time that we have allotted to us. We should be looking to be in his presence at all times. We are always, I mean, through scripture, we know that he is omnipresent. He is everywhere, God, our God, our Christ. He is all around us at all times. But my prayer is always, Lord, make me more aware of your presence at all times. Then I don't do boneheaded things, you know, because I'm like, oh, wait, Jesus is here in the room with me. Well, I'm not going to do that. Like, it, it, it catches me. It makes me check myself. At all times, if we are in that state, we're aware of his presence. We might be able to discern his leading when it comes. I always want to know what God wants me to do. God, should I eat Wheaties or Cheerios this morning? Oh, it's a choice, right? Should I go left or should I go right? Should I take the back way or should I go the highway? Sometimes I'm not going to get an answer with that stuff. But on important things, he will direct me and say, you know, you really shouldn't go talk to that group of people right now. It's, it's, or, or you need to go talk to that group of people right now. I want to be aware and sensitive to that leading. But as we do that, you know, the enemy is aware. The enemy is redeeming his time. You know, he has an allotted time on this earth to um, work the works that he's allowed to do. The enemy is redeeming every moment of every day. And, and I'm watching as, as we draw closer to the day of, his, of, of Christ's return to take us away, that he is, the enemy is definitely redeeming his time. Would you, would you agree with that? You can see the works uh, uh, that are happening all around us. And, and look, we're in comfortable America where we're just starting to see some things change. We're starting to see opposition that we've never experienced before. They're telling us to do this and to do that. Where other parts of the country, people have been dying for their faith, more so than any other period in history. Even the Roman Colosseum times when they would set them out in, in before the lions to die. Right now, right now in our day, this is happening all around us. And we, we, we're comfortable here. We don't, we don't want to see that. I don't, personally. But we need to be aware that the enemy is at work, and he desires to break us down. He is redeeming his time. 
he's going to try and do as much damage as he possibly can. He, he seeks to destroy every human being alive. And if he can keep a person from coming to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that is his greatest victory. That is his greatest victory to keep us from an eternity with Christ and to keep us in an eternity of darkness. For those of us that he could not persuade to stay away from Christ, he continues to bring anything he can to disrupt our relationship with the Lord. He wants, us, he wants to throw temptations, accusations. He wants to stir up persecutions and strife against us, anything to rob us of our joy and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. He wants to leave us as unstable creatures, torn and left in our own misery. He'll do that internally. He'll do that from the outside. He'll do that any possible way he can. He, he's not able to read our thoughts. And he's not able to put, a, put um, thoughts into our minds because we'd all go crazy. But he's able to influence others to, uh, to push. You know, He's able to push things around and, and get the conditions right for us. Because he, he knows, he has an idea of what stirs us. He, you know, they scrutinize us. You know, the account in Job's is God says to Satan, where have you been? He says, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. What's he been doing? He's been checking people out. He's been looking at you. He's been looking at me. He's been trying to see where can I trip this person up? How can I make this person compromise and fall? How can I make this happen? It's, an, it's the enemy's work against us. We have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't get left there. James 5.17 tells us about Elijah that he was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, that's the encounter that we're reading. He announced to Ahab. Three and a half years later, he announced to Ahab. He said, it's not going to rain. All these things transpire. He says, okay, Ahab, it's going to rain now. And it rained, the Bible says. I take that as a real encouragement. Elijah was a man. He wasn't some super being. He was a person. He was a person who could get tripped up. He was a person that experienced trouble. He was a person that would hit his hand with a hammer and it really hurt. <laughs> he wasn't saying, bang, oh, praise you, Jesus. This is so wonderful. Uh, he grabbed his thumb and he jumped up and down just like I would. He was a normal guy. He was a normal, everyday person that God set up and God spoke to. But he prayed. He was in communion and in daily conversation with the Lord. Moment by moment, he was in that relationship, it's a great spot to be. He was subjected to assault from the enemy, just like we are. And we just looked at an event that you would think that would leave him, you know, untouchable, you know, shielded forever from, at least emotionally, to me. I, I would think, hey, I've, been, I've had this awesome experience. I just decimated Baal's people, you know. This, yet... We're going to see Jezebel in the next chapter pushes the right button. Let's go with that arrow, and that arrow sticks deep, right where, right where she, the enemy wanted it to go. She says, uh, it says next uh, in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Notice, he doesn't mention anything about God and the prophets and the whole event, you know, they were jumping up and down and doing their thing, and Elijah just prayed, and it happens. It doesn't mention any of that. So Elijah killed. Elijah did this and killed the, killed the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a, me a messenger to Elijah. She was mad about that, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. I'm going to get you. So... Elijah was afraid. It says he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. 
And he left his servant there. He, he's running for his life. He runs to Beersheba. Then he's like, all right, you stay here. I'm, I'm getting out of here as far as I possibly can. Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And Elijah runs for his life. He runs a day's journey, if we look in the following verses. Uh, and then he gets, after he gets a day's journey away, he stops and he says, Lord, take away my life. <laughs> he says, take away my life. He's not talking about committing suicide here. He's just got to this place where he says, God, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I did enough. I, I can't go any further. I'm done. Just take my, let me go to sleep and not wake up again. Ever been there? It's a, it's a thought that a lot of people get to. It's a thought that, you know, it, it's not where we want to be. This, this flaming arrow is deep into, into Elijah right now. Next, an angel comes, gives him some angel food cake, says eat this, gives him some water. He takes a nap. Angel wakes him up, says get up, eat some more of this cake. Come on, get this cake in you. Get up because the, the journey's too far for you to go on your own. And then he goes on, the, on in the power of this cake, this, this food that this angel brings to him. I, don't, I wonder, was it manna? I don't know. That we read about in the book of Exodus. I don't know. Uh, whatever it was, it, it powered Elijah's body enough that he could go for 40 days and 40 nights traveling without any food or water. Well, at least it doesn't say he has any water. But he goes in the power of this food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. And then he holds himself up, finds a cave, says, okay, this is good. This is where I'm going to stay. I'm going to hang out in this cave for the rest of my life, and hopefully I'll die here and nobody will ever see me again. He isolates. He's in, this, he's in this Elijah complex thing. I'm the only one, right? That's where it came from. I'm the only one, nobody else. I'm going to stay in this cave so I can protect God's prophet organization here. Um, 1 Kings verse nine, chapter 19, verse 9, we get to that point. He came to a cave, and he lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, the word of the Lord came to him. He will meet with us. He will meet with us. He desires to meet with us and to speak to us. Elijah's running for his life. He's not in the center of God's will right now. He's not in the permissive will of God. He's running for his life from a crazy lady. He just, went, he just had this thing where he killed 450 prophets of Baal, yet, yet, He's running from this lady because she said, I'm going to kill you. It just doesn't make any sense where he's at. But the word of the Lord came to him. Continuing, he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Has this prepared answer. He's been going over in his mind. God says, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. This was granite. This was a granite mountain. Have you ever seen a wind that can break rocks? This is intense. I think of a movie uh, that when, when I was growing up called The Never-Ending Story. This wind came and it tore the rocks all up. I don't know how many of you have seen it. I know you have. But uh, it, this wind comes. It tears. It breaks this granite rock. But the Lord's not in it. That wasn't the Lord. After the wind, an earthquake came. The Lord was not in the earthquake. Anybody ever experienced an earthquake? I, I have. It woke me up in the night. You know, I was living in California. It, it's a shake. It's, it's interesting. I can't imagine a really, really big one. I've never experienced that. It was more like, a, like ooh, what was that? Like, what was that? Some stuff falls off the shelf. I can't imagine a really big one, uh, the one during the World Series. Uh, what year was that? 
89. I remember, it, I remember watching it on TV and thinking, wow, highways fell down and all that stuff. Like, it's, a, it's an earth-shaking event, an earth-moving event, right? God wasn't in it. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Working for the electric company, I get to go to a number of fires at night to shut off the power to keep the firemen safe. And often when I get there, I see the firemen out on the ground um, just resting because they've been in there fighting the fire. By the time I get there, it's usually pretty, pretty intense. Um, and, uh, you know, they're always covered in sweat and sitting there with bottles of water just taking their... Cause I've never been inside of that, but I can't imagine how hot and how intense that can be. I can see from the outside how intense that is. God is not in the fire. All these intense things he's giving example of, God is giving example to Elijah. The wind, the earthquake, the fire. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper. King James calls it a still, small voice. When Elijah heard that, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And Elijah, he answers with that same practiced answer, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left only, and they seek my life to take it away. He didn't really answer the question. He just gave his circumstances. The answer to the question was, I'm running for my life from this crazy lady Jezebel. That's what I'm doing. I'm afraid that you aren't good enough to keep me safe. That's the answer. It's convicting to me. How often do I run? How often do I not turn to the Lord when I'm going through it? God gives his orders now. He gives his orders to Elijah. Then he explains to Elijah that he is not alone. Finishing out, he says and in verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king of Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mechola, I practiced that and I still got it wrong, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place, and the one who escapes from the sword, Haziel, shall put of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Jehu shall Elisha put to death. He says, I have some orders for you. Here's, here's a job for you to do right now. Yet, verse 18, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God tells Elijah, I've got this plan, and you're a part of it. You're a part of it. Go do your job. Go do the job I have for you. And by the way, you're not alone. You're not the last one. I've got 7,000 personal in reserve. They're in my reserves. They're part of my army. They're part of my people. They're my own. You're not alone. I got you covered, man. Got you covered. We are called to be men and women of faith. We're called to trust in Jesus. He will give us our directions. He will give us our tasks. It's hard to hear those tasks sometimes. But if we stay in a constant state of communion with him, it becomes easier. It becomes, uh, we're more sensitive to discern his leading and his direction. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Very familiar verse, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. It might not be in a loud, electronic billboard on the side of the highway kind of way. It might be something as quietly as 
we're in our morning devotions and we read something and it really kind of pricks our heart and touches us. And then later on, you're having a conversation with someone and they start talking about it. The same thing that you were thinking about earlier in the morning, it comes up. And then later on, you're listening to the radio on the way home from work and the announcer on the radio says the same thing. You're thinking, maybe somebody's trying to say something to me. I encourage you, listen, search the scriptures, check it out for yourselves, get involved, get, get, dig deeper. Say, wow, God, you're, you're trying to say this thing to me? Well, what else does the word say about this? Follow that direction. Try to understand his will. Eventually, you'll get that idea. Pray. The darts that come at us come at us in those times where we think that we're, we're on top of it. We think that we're, we don't have to worry about the enemy at this moment. And, and like I said, the enemy redeems his time. He looks for gaps in the army. He looks for chinks. He looks for um, those places where, okay, it's, it's sealed up, but there's that point where you move and it opens just for a hair of a second. He'll get you. He'll, he'll, he'll throw something at you to, to, to throw you off, to, to get you out of alignment, uh, like a pothole on the highway. Because you didn't see it coming, boom, you hit it. You didn't have a choice. You couldn't swerve out of the way. Uh, at one point, I know somebody who blew three tires and bent two rims, and uh, that was fun. Um, but these darts that come from the enemy, they come to break us down and weaken our relationship with the Lord. When they do come, and they will. How do we put these fiery darts out? How do we remedy this, have this shield of faith that we read about in Ephesians 6? The Romans, they soak their shields, you know, they sh soak that leather in, in their shields so that if an enemy shot that arrow, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't set their gear on fire. It, wouldn't, it would be extinguished because of the wetness of the wood, of the, of the leather. How does this work for us? First, we have to realize that, that this is something from the enemy. Is this something that's drawing us closer to Jesus? Or is it something that is, is pushing us away and causing us to, to go into self-condemnation? God will always call us to repentance, to call us from our sin, and he will draw us to himself. Always. If we find ourselves flat, if we find ourselves, we, we broke what we promised, and, and we're, we're sitting there, and we're, we know we did wrong. God is, when it's the Lord that's impressing on us, he will always draw us to himself. Say, look, yes, you fell down, you messed up. Now turn away from that and turn to the Lord. Turn to me. Come to me. And I will make you clean, the word says. Come to me. The enemy, on the other hand, will always try to make you feel like, that's it. God's done with me now. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to go back to the world. I can't. There's no way he'll take me back. There's no way. It's always a self of self-condemnation and rejection that the enemy brings to us. Identify that source and turn to Jesus. Know that the dart can be quenched. It can be quenched. We can read Ephesians 6, 16 again. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Know that that dart can only be put out by taking up the shield of faith. When we put our faith back where it belongs in Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, we can't do it on our own. Why would we want to try? If I can't pick something heavy up and move it, what do I do? I get somebody bigger and stronger than me to help me or to do it on their own so I can watch and say, wow, thanks, buddy, right? I don't want to do that on my own. Try to help others, but at the same time, Lord, he wants to do the work in us. He will do the work in us. Why would I want to try to do that on my own? There's no way that I can. There's no, that I, no way that I can turn to Jesus Christ. The shield is a shield of faith, and, and faith means trusting everything that God has promised for us in Jesus Christ, that it is for us in Jesus Christ. 
Turn your heart to him. Don't try to get rid of the problem first. We all know that, that you catch a fish before you clean it. You always have to bring it up onto the land and get it into your hands before you can clean the fish and get, get it ready. Turn your heart to him. If Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can turn to him just as we are, confessing our sin, asking him to forgive us. He will. He will forgive us. And then we ask him to help us um, to use this shield of faith. We help him to give us, give us more faith, Lord. These, all this stuff is hassling me. Give me more faith. Strengthen my faith. Look to the word. Find God's promises. Find God's promises. They will counter what the enemy is uh, causing us to deal with in our lives. Believe the promises. Believe them and stand on his word. You know, you remember the song from Sunday school, a lot of you? I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, you know that song. Amen is right. The word of God is a, is a message system from eternity to us, that we might have that guidance, that we might have those promises to stand upon. It's encouraging. It, it's uplifting. It's all those things that we love to be. Will also encourage us to stay, steer clear of the things that we're doing wrong. Steer clear of the of the things that the enemy could grab, purchase, could get a foothold into our lives. Stay away from those things. Stay on the Word of God. Read it. Follow Him. Look to the Word and His promises, and pray over those promises. God, you said in your Word that you would be with me. I believe you meant what you said, and I believe that you promised that you would be with me. So be with me, Lord, right now as I go through this hard thing, as I deal with this encounter that I have to go through. Whatever, whatever your blank may be, find that promise. Stand on that word. Pray through that word. It might take time. He might not answer you right away because he wants to cultivate in us trust and faith. He wants us to be believing that he is going to do what he is doing. Uh, we look back to, to the boys when they went into uh, the fiery furnace in Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or by their proper Hebrew names, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael. These guys were like, we're not going to bow to you, Nebuchadnezzar. And even if our God doesn't rescue us now, we know that he's bigger than you, and we're still going to stay faithful to him. He wants to cultivate in us. God wants to cultivate in us that heart that we are trusting that he knows best. God knows best. He knows what we need in our lives, and he will do those things that we need in our lives, and he will be faithful to accomplish, again, that work that he's done. He wants to build strength and trust into our spirits. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not something tangible, but it is. Faith is not something that you can see, but it's something that you can know and that you can have as a part of who you are. Our fight is not with the people that are arrayed against us or the army or the, or the battle that's set out before us, but it's with principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness. These are the enemies who sow division within the church, who encourage offense to be given and taken, who fan the rumor mill, you know, who stir the pot of circumstances, who work in the background to distract God's people from what truly matters. The fiery darts of the wicked one fly. They find their marks on anyone whose armor is, is, is deficient, really. Anyone who has that weakness. Look, it's going to hit all of us. What do we do with it when it does? They often try to convince us that, that we're not good enough, you know? We're not worthy. Look, we're not worthy. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. We're not worthy. They hold, us, they hold up sins as evidence to that, trying to blackmail Christians into giving up. Don't do it. Just 
forget it. Get back on the sidelines. Let, let, let the super spiritual people take the, take the battlefield. You don't need to be a part of that. We are a part of that. That's why we're experiencing that. Jesus, Jesus blesses us with protection if we ask for it. Jesus blesses us with forgiveness if we ask for it. Is there any righteous work that God won't perform or any good thing that he will not provide for his people? Another enemy is the one that we face within. Again, the carnal man, the old man, the flesh. This part of us, you know, it'll probably never be completely gone until we're standing in that heavenly place in our new spiritual incorruptible bodies, right, in heaven. But, but we can hold that back through God's strength, through communion with him, through fellowship with him in prayer and in reading his word. And with gathering together together as saints, you know, all of our human efforts and working in our own will would be useless without giving Jesus, without Jesus giving us the victory. Romans 7, we have Paul giving an account of that, you know. He writes uh, of the continual struggle that he finds inside of himself. He asks, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Who will, be, who will deliver me? Romans 7, 24. Then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God that he delivers me through the blessings, oh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's verse 25. Jesus Christ, the Lamb, again, being provided as a blessing from the Most High as a means of deliverance. You know, he delivers us. If there's anyone here that doesn't understand that, Jesus Christ desires a, a relationship. He desires to to, to deliver us, not, not just from death and hell, which he does want to do that, but from the daily um, places where we go in our own hearts and our own minds. Look, it, eternal life doesn't begin when we die. It begins the moment we, we believe in Christ as our Savior. Jesus Christ went to the cross, a sinless substitute for my wrong. For your, your wrong. I, I watched an interview recently, in the, and, and the person they were interviewing, they were asking him about a certain sin, and, and he said, well, you know, I can't really, I, can't, I only talk about that stuff, you know, in the interviews. And they asked the guy, they said, well, you, you know, you have people in your congregation that, are, that, are, that participate in these types of sins, you know, so you're saying you call them sinners? That's not very uplifting. You know what, you guys, you're sinners. <laughs> I am a sinner. We need Jesus Christ because we're sinners. If we don't know that, then what, what need is there to be a rescue? Jesus Christ desires for us to come to him. He desires for us to be in fellowship with him. He desires for us to give over our lives to him. Why? He desires it so that he can bless us with eternal life, with life in himself with life in himself. It's such a great thing. And if you, if you haven't made that decision, come to him now. There's no better time because we don't know when our number, when our day is coming. We don't know when the exact time when we're going to stand before the Lord and have to give an account of, of the things we did on the earth, of what we did with his son, Jesus Christ. I would rather say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I know I was wrong in my life. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, and I believed it, and I put my trust and my hope in him, rather than having to make up some kind of excuses and backpedaling for all the wrong that I've done. Jesus wants that fellowship with us, so come to him. If you, you can call us. You can talk to us. You can, you can meet with us. We, will, we would love to share it with you face-to-face -face and pray with you. Look, I, I'm, I'm very familiar with these flaming darts. I'm very familiar with with the shots from the evil one. I usually experience them like, like Elijah does. I'll have a great time of ministry, a great worship night, something awesome that I've, that I've been doing, and, and it just all lines up, and God is like, yeah. Like, I know that God is excited because he did an awesome work, and I'm, I'm excited, and he's excited, and everybody around me is excited, and all of a sudden, I crash. And I'm running to my bedroom closet, and I'm isolating myself and condemning myself. Oh, I'm such a fool. I'm, 
I'm worthless. I, I, how could God use me? God, why do you use me? I'm such a this or I'm such a that. I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm very familiar with that. And I have to pull myself out of that. I have to turn to the Lord. It, it, it's that dart of isolation and condemnation come. And I got to turn it over to God because that takes down everybody else around me. They all start looking at me and I say, no, just leave me alone. Boo-hoo. And I start to pout and I start to, you know, grovel on myself. And, and then my family looks at me and says, what is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> and I got to check myself and say, Lord, this is from the enemy because I'm not being drawn to you. You got to help me here. And just like that, it, it turns. I, I would love to say I recognize it every time right away. Sometimes I'll sit that way for days. And, but once it does click and that light comes back on, I, I mean, God, what's happening here? Help me. Turn me back to you. And he does. It's usually a small thing, you know. He says, yes, here's, your word. here's what I said in your word. He'll remind me of a verse. Reading my Bible, he'll, he'll, he'll teach me again. He'll remind me of promises that he said to me over and over again, and I forget them every time. They're in my heart. I know them, but, uh, but when that dark shadow comes or that, that thing comes that distracts me that says, oh, you're, you're no good, you know? And that's just one example. I didn't do good enough. I, I, I didn't say the right thing. I was all out of tune and all that. That was terrible. And I'm watching people who are blessed. And, and it's, I know that it's not me that does that when I worship in the morning. I, I, I can't take any credit for any of that. That's the Lord's work. If he wants to sing it out of tune, then he's, that's, that's on the Lord. I, I'm, just a, I'm just a vessel here, right? And, I, and I'm grateful that I can, that I can say that. I'm just, I'm just, I just want to be the glove that the Lord fills and uses to, to do his work. That's what I want to be. I want to be the shoe that has the Lord's foot in it to take it where it wants to go, where he wants us to go. I want to be the jacket that, that he wears that, that is able to move according to the way that he has for me to move. When we get into those places, when those fiery darts come and they, they tear us down, it doesn't just affect us personally. It affects those, it affects those around us that love us, that care about us, that, that want to see us grow, that, that maybe look up to us, that, that maybe need us to be an encouragement. I want to have victory, right? We all want to have victory. I want to get the victory. We hear that saying. For a while, I thought that I had to have that victory in myself. I had to, I had to go out and do something awesome. I knew the work was done, but I had to go out and, you know, be the man, whatever, whatever you want to call it. The more I spend time with Jesus, the more I realize I can't have a victory. There is no victory in me. The victory is in Jesus Christ. And I want to stand in his victory because that's a victory that's already won. That's a victory that cannot be defeated. That's a victory that stands forever and ever and ever and eternally we can be refreshed and encouraged in that. I'm able to rest in the completed work of Christ. My victory has already been won in his work on the cross. All I need to do is give it to him, to rest in his presence. My encouragement is get alone with him. Put everything else in the world on silent mode and just sit in silence all except for what he has to say to you. Listen to him. That's something we need to cultivate in our lives. It's something that we, as a culture, have gotten away from. Just getting alone and sitting quietly. Put the phone in the other room. That's my big distraction. I'll sit there and I'll, I'll be praying and I'll, I gotta check my email. But why did I have to check my email? Nobody likes me, <laughs> right? Nobody's gonna send me anything. That time is, we need that time. We need that time of refreshment. We need that time of encouragement from the Lord. We need that time to build our faith in him. He's always there, waiting already to meet with us. He desires that. So let's put on the shield of faith that we might be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand. Let's pray.
And we'll have the worship team come and close us out in a song. Father, thank you so much that you give us this hope, that you give us an encouragement, Lord, to come to you. That you have called us, Lord, not to have to win a victory on our own, but that the victory is already won. Though the battle is raging for us, the victory is already won. Though we may be stuck with flaming arrows, we can be, those arrows can be quenched by our, our, the freedom that we find in you. I pray for each one here, Lord, that, that you would help us just to see you more clearly. Lord, to know you in a deeper way this week as we leave this place, as we look forward to what you have ahead of us, Lord, as we look for the day of your return to come to take us home to be with you. Lord, we thank you again. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for being able to worship, to be able to sing songs, to be able to look into your word. So we give you this time now and we pray in your precious name. Amen.